When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan. This is our Browns post-game podcast that we recorded with our Football Insider subscribers after the Browns win over Tennessee. Now, if you want to get involved in Football Insider, you just got to go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page. You get opportunities to be a part of things like the post-game show. You get a newsletter every day with exclusive content. And you also get access hey everybody, to exclusive welcome to the Brown Orange Stories Brown Talk on podcast post game so edition. Check that out. Go to Brown.com slash Browns. The blue banner here at the top of the page. Get all your information uh, and get some. Mary Kay has a fantastic background behind her. I have a door behind me, but whatever. The Browns are winners here in Nashville today and are now 9 3. Mary Kay, let's get right to it. I think probably the big story in this game, the thing everyone is talking about, is the way that Baker Mayfield played in that first half and it was an incredible first half four touchdowns 290 yards the browns built an enormous lead 38 to 7 probably the best half of football he's he's played as a cleveland brown yeah you know what he was mad at himself after last week's game i think everybody saw that he was mad even though they won the game in jacksonville he was upset with himself that he uh, he missed two throws into the end zone he had done that the week before as well and he knew that that wasn't going to be able to fly against the better teams in the NFL as they head down the stretch. And I think he has struggled a little bit emotionally, mentally, whatever this season, just with who he is and what he is and what he's capable of and what he's doing. And I think he just set his mind to being the Baker that, uh, that has that swagger, the Baker that wakes up feeling dangerous, the Baker that sticks his foot in the ground and decisively makes that pass and makes it accurately. And, you know, he mentioned today that uh, it's up to him to elevate the level of the players around him. And, and he did that today, too. I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones drops the pass. He comes back. He has the confidence to throw it to him, and he gets that 75-yarder. So it was the kind of game that the Browns needed and wanted to see out of Baker Mayfield against a good football team. And, and they got it, and I think it will serve him well going forward. Yeah, he kind of put that, um, you know, he, he kind of been getting that label of game manager and not necessarily, you know, I've been saying it's not always in a bad way, right? I mean, it was just, he was doing what he needed to do. He was taking care of the football. He was making throws when he needed to make them. But today it was all about Baker. And I thought it was really interesting the way that this team um, came out and just attacked through the air. They decided that that was what they were going to attack in this Tennessee defense. That speaks a lot to Kevin Stefanski, which we'll get to here in a minute, but um, they, they decided to kind of lean on Baker in this football game early on and he paid them off. Well, that's true. You know what, this was, it's not a good pass defense whatsoever. And they, instead of just coming in here and running the ball, I mean, Baker told us during the week, Hey, don't forget about us. You know, we do have a passing game too. And they went against the 28th ranked pass defense in the NFL. They knew that they had the favorable matchup. They knew they had the offensive line matchup versus that defensive line. They knew for sure that they had a receiver and a skill position matchup against that defensive backfield. And they were aggressive. 
and they absolutely went for it. And that's what we're finding out about Kevin Stefanski is that he is just going to keep pushing it and pushing it, and he's going to be aggressive. What Baker loves about Kevin Stefanski is that he trusts him. And it says, and Baker says, when he knows his coach trusts him, it makes him feel more confident in himself. So much of this game is mental. Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt have been giving him the vote of confidence week after week after week. When we keep asking about missed throws into the end zone, these guys keep on saying, don't overanalyze it, go out and do your thing. I think Baker hit the reset button and he's just trying to be uh, that, that really sort of cocky quarterback that we all knew from Oklahoma. And, and he was in a rhythm today. I think that's always really important with Baker when he's in a rhythm and the offensive line, I'm glad you pointed them out because they protected really well today. Uh, I mean, it just didn't seem like Baker was under a whole lot of pressure. And we know how good Baker is when he's not under pressure and what he can do. And he just got into this rhythm and we saw it against Cincinnati and we saw it today, this rhythm that he can get into. And then they're just having fun out there. And that's where Kevin Stefanski comes into. He calls the, the crazy play with Jarvis to Baker. Look, it wasn't a big game, but Again, those are moments when guys are having fun and, and they're getting into it. And then Jarvis catches the touchdown pass. And then, of course, there was the Kendall Lamb play. This was probably Kevin Stefanski's best half of football, too. And that's saying something because he's been pretty good this year. Yeah, he has been pretty good this year. And you're right. Uh, he mixed it up with trick plays. They tried different looks. They did different things. They didn't rest on their laurels. They didn't do exactly what most people thought they were going to do. And that and that was come in here and have this be some ground battle between Derrick Henry on one side and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb on the other side. They knew what they were up against in terms of this past defense. And they just had fun with it. I mean, they just had, they knew that they were going to get a one-on-one -on -one shot somewhere like they did with Donovan Peoples-Jones on, on the up and out where he got behind the defense there. That's time to take that shot. Baker worked really well off of play action. Okay, really well. It's kind of what Ryan Tannehill has done and they did last year to get to the AFC championship game. This, by the way, was a team that went to the AFC championship game last year. Uh, but that play action game, was really, really working well today. This defense for the Titans had no answer for it. And, and Baker's very confident uh, off that play action game. Yeah, just, I mean, just a really, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much we can say about that first half. We could probably talk about how great that first half was for hours, because again, it was the, the best half of football this team has played, considering the opponent, the stakes, you know, what it kind of sets up for them now moving forward. I, I do want to ask about the second half uh, and there's another, uh, I want to talk about the defense too, but I want to ask about the second half. Does that change how you view this game at all? Or was that just one of those things where it was just really weird? You know, Tennessee's not going to just lay down. They're not going to roll over. They're an eight and three football team coming into this game. Do, does the second half give you pause at all? Or you just kind of write it off as, Hey, the Browns hung on and won this game. Yeah. I do want to talk about the defense too, Dan. So let's not forget about them either after this, but uh, the second half, uh, yes, I think you have to look at it. I think you have to look at it and you have to say they let Jacksonville back into the game last week. Okay. They let Jacksonville back in and they made it way too close last week. This week, they let these guys make it too close. This was a dominant performance by the Cleveland Brown Browns. And then you have to put it away. And how did that happen with, uh, you know, with Baker's fumble. And, and as he mentioned, uh, he cannot turn the ball over. He doesn't, you know, he wasn't going to pat himself on the back for his fifth straight game without an interception. 
because he fumbled the ball and he was mad at himself for that. And you can see what happens when that does happen. Now, fortunately, the Browns had created an insurmountable lead by that point, but you don't want to let up. You have to keep your foot on the gas and you, and you can't let a team like this back into the game because anything can happen. I mean, my goodness, if they had recovered that kick at the end, I mean, who knows really any, anything can happen. Same thing uh, with the Jaguars last week. So uh, they really have to work on that. So let, let's talk about that defense now, because obviously they have been much maligned. Um, and, you know, first of all, let's start with Joe Woods comes out. He's playing five defensive linemen uh, early in the game, just snap after snap. When they open up the lead a little bit, he kind of pulled back on that and played a little more traditionally. But uh, five defensive linemen on the field, you get the fourth down stop. You get the fumble, uh, the forced fumble by Sheldon Richardson. And then even in that second half, when the Titans are coming back, they stopped the two-point attempt. They get a big interception from MJ Stewart after that call got overturned and the fourth down conversion was, was uh, overturned and the Titans kept the football. So even when this defense was starting to give up yards and starting to give up plays, they did just enough in the second half. But in the first half, again, much like Baker Mayfield, much like Kevin Stefanski, probably the best half of football by this defense all year. Yeah, you know what? Let's start with Joe Woods and the five-man front. I mean, they they borrowed this. They borrowed a page from the Cincinnati Bengals game plan against the Titans. They went out and beat these Titans, uh, 31 to 20, and they did so with that five-man front. Uh, that was not lost on the Browns. They used it. It was extremely effective. Sheldon Richardson had an amazing day today with the fourth down stop. Uh, you know, he had the uh, he had the forced fumble. Uh, that was recovered by Carl Joseph. He had a really good game and he got complimented by Kevin Stefanski as he should have for that. Uh, but that was a great strategy and it worked beautifully and it threw these guys off because the Browns hadn't shown that before. We hadn't seen it. It was a surprise to us. It was a surprise to the Titans. So that was really good. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, just unsung heroes step, stepped up and made plays. Here these guys are without Denzel Ward and they are without Ronnie Harrison. So they were gonna need some guys in an embattled secondary with everybody doubting them to step up and make plays. Uh, even on the, on the interception, the late interception that was so crucial uh, to this victory, you had Terrence Mitchell coming in and hitting Humphreys, popping the ball free, and then MJ Stewart. Who is MJ Stewart? Anybody remember? Uh, he was uh, you know, a backup nickelback that, uh, you know, that we haven't heard too much from since uh, for most of the season, really. Uh, so, you know, you know, he makes the big play there and that's what they need when you guys have, when you have guys like Ward and Ronnie Harrison out, they got big plays by Kevin Johnson, Terrence Mitchell, MJ Stewart, Carl Joseph with the recovery, BJ Goodson with a breakup, Sheldon Richardson. The defense played really, really well. They held Derrick Henry to 60 yards, 15 in the first half. So Kudos to Joe Woods and his guys. And uh, Miles Garrett back at it today. And he admitted he was a little winded, uh, a little bit fatigued, but he looked like Miles Garrett. And he did come up with the uh, with a sack today as well to get to 10 and a half now on the season. And beyond that, you could just tell when he was out there, he was moving Ryan Tannehill. He was making him uncomfortable. You, you felt Miles Garrett's presence out there. You saw him coming around the edge. Uh, over and over and over again. So even if he was a little bit winded, even if he wasn't 100%, just having Miles Garrett back out there was enormous for this entire defense. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, just his presence alone. I mean, you have to account for account for him. You have to commit extra attention to him. Uh, they had a, a third string left tackle, uh, and you, you've got to give that guy help if, if he's going to try to hold off Miles Garrett. Uh, but he did come up with his sack. That was good. He's uh, still in contention for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And as you mentioned, he was somewhat winded coming off COVID-19, which he told us on Friday, kicked his butt. So for just for him to be out there was, I think, uh, an emotional lift for his guys. And he did enough. I mean, he did what he needed to do, as you mentioned, to get Ryan Tannehill off of his mark. But I, I think it was, it was a collective effort by, it's a really scrappy defense. I mean, they've been much maligned this season, but these guys are, are scrappy and they, they fight hard and they block out that noise. They don't believe that they're not going to step up and make the play. They don't believe that because Ronnie Harrison is out that they're going to concede anything. So for them to do what they did today with, with Derrick Henry, I mean, Derrick Henry seemed rattled, didn't he? I mean, he just wasn't himself. He, he rushed for 178 yards last weekend against the Colts, 15 in the first half. And that, I mean, again, that first half of the game was where it all happened and, and why they won this game. Right. His first fumble of the year this year, uh, Sheldon Richardson was able to force that. And he almost had another one too, uh, later in the game. All right. Brown's 30, I'm sorry, 41, 35 winners over the Titans had the white knuckle it a little bit, but that's okay. This is the NFL as NFL players like to say, those guys get paid too. They are nine and three. The first time they're nine and three, since 1994, the team they beat to get to nine and three that year was, of course, the Houston Oilers, who, as we all know, are the franchise that the Browns beat today to move to nine and three. Uh, Mary Kay, we'll let you go. We're going to bring in. I know Doug is hanging around, uh, uh, hanging around in here. I don't know if I've seen anybody else jump in here as well, uh, but I will talk to you in a little bit. OK, sounds good. Thanks. Okay, uh, the Browns 41-35 winners. A few of you were trying to jump on camera there, and I apologize. I, I had to shut it down, but we do uh, we put this up on our YouTube channel uh, as a kind of our post-game analysis video. We sort of double dip here. So uh, if you were trying to get on video and you want to jump on video, uh, you certainly can do that now. We, we welcome you on board. Uh, we, I see Alex Santos is jumping on as he's always here. Doug is uh, jumping on as well, uh, as you can see. And of course, uh, you can jump in, ask questions, participate. You can use the chat. You can uh, use the participants button and actually come on via audio or video to ask your questions. Uh, if you were on video and because I shut it off, you can't jump back on, just let me know and, and I'll help you out. I'm not sure if that's how that works here on, on Zoom or not. This is our Browns postgame show, 4135. The Browns are winners. Doug Maurice has joined us. Doug, welcome aboard. You said you were expecting this team to play their most complete game of the season, and lo and behold, they did. Did you notice I was literally sipping tea as I came on? Um, <laughs> I'm not surprised about anything that happened today. I think you that's what I wrote after the game. I think you could see it coming with Baker. The run game's been there. I don't think we should overreact to the defense. I mean, you know, they still can't stop the pass, but you saw what happens when they get a lead. They put pressure on the Titans and the defensive tackles played really well. We talked about that. I think all week is that they needed to show up in a way that Olivier Vernon showed up when miles Garrett was out in that one game. And I thought the tackle showing up against Eric Henry was a really big deal, but this is who the Browns are. This was not the new Browns. This was not unusual Browns. This was next step Browns. And so, Again, like if you're surprised, I don't know what you've been watching. Maybe you were thrown off by the fact that the teams they played weren't very good. And listen, I get it. So a lot of the games were close. 
This was in line with who they are and what they do. And this is who they are now. There is, there is nothing shocking today. No fluke about this. And I wrote it, my post-game column, the Chiefs are better than them. Are we sure anybody else in the AFC is definitely better than them? And I'm including the undefeated Steelers in that. Are we sure? Are we sure? So that's where they are. That's who they are. Scott, your thoughts? Did I miss the Baker contract talk? Have we already done that? Oh, no, no I've been saving that. I've been saving that for Doug. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, you know, I think there was talk in, uh, in the post-game press conference. Baker brought it up, I think, about how he felt this was the most complete game, or at least first half they'd played. And I wrote after the game, and I think this is the Browns' version of a complete game right now. Uh, it was very similar to the Cowboys game and a little bit similar to the Colts game and that they got out to comfortable leads. And then in the second half, it's a situation where you just, you're trying to keep that. And, you know, it, it was, I mean, this was like a 13 point win. I know it got crazy there at the end, but that's kind of like what this was. So I think in that regard, this is probably the most complete game they've played, but I don't think you get a better performance out of the defense. Um, or this is probably the best performance you got out of the defense this season. I don't know how you can get much better. They got sacks, they got turnovers. That's what they're supposed to do. So um, this is where they are. The next step for this team is to put away a team and keep scoring in the second half. But they did what they had to do today to get that ninth win. Ellis is joining us here as well. All of you guys jumped in right at the same time. Ellis, your thoughts, your initial thoughts off of this one. Uh, right away, look, going into this one, it was a let's see it you know, it's time to prove it type of game. And they did exactly that. They did wasted no time doing it uh, from the start. Kevin Stefanski was aggressive and you're sitting there at halftime and you're wondering like, wow, how, how did the Browns get here? This is perhaps surprising or even a little bit confusing if you're a Tennessee fan or something like that. But when you look at the game, the totality of it really, what happened was the things we knew would be key going to this one, explosive plays, turnovers, protecting the quarterback. And all those things went the Browns way and not be in a way that turnovers are fluky because this is an opportunistic defense. This is what they do. This is how this defense plays. You can no longer say like uh, tip ball here. They're around the football. Even one of the, the Titans scores came from a fumble that the Browns initiated. You know, like this is a team that clearly is coached and taught technique and attacking the ball. Again, protecting Baker Mayfield only hit once. We knew Tennessee coming in, didn't get after the quarterback, but this is how Baker can play when he's completely protected like that. And Kevin Spancy has an, a, just a perfect game plan. And I'll say this about Baker playing the best game of his career in the biggest game of the Browns season on the road against a team that played in the AFC championship game last year. It's a step. It's a huge step. And now this team is here at nine and three and proved it. They got it done. The team that only won in, by two points in Jacksonville and couldn't convert a third down uh, throw to Cream Hunt in the flats and couldn't convert that fourth down was a completely different team than the one that started the first half in Tennessee. And this is where the Browns are right now. Yeah, this is uh, this was a game I thought today where, I don't know, reminder's not the right word. I think we've been saying all season long that Kevin Stefanski's been fantastic. He's done everything you've wanted him to do. But again, in the first half today, he comes out, he decides how they want to attack the Titans and him and Baker basically got whatever they wanted out there. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant play calling from Stefanski. Great play from Baker Mayfield. You had guys step up, you know, even Donovan Peoples-Jones, who had a drop that could have changed the early portion of that game. 
Browns do come away with a field goal and they force the turnover and Donovan Peoples Jones makes a big play, uh, you know, a few series later. So, you know, just, just the way Kevin Stefanski came into this game, knew what he wanted to do, knew he knew what he wanted this football team to be and how they wanted to win this game. Uh, it, it just kind of speaks to the kind of coach he is. And again, we, we come away again, feeling like one thing for certain, this team is not going to be out coached. The guy on the Brown sideline is not going to be outsmarted and outcoached by anybody else. It's, it's been a long time since we've been able to say that. Yeah, I felt like the Browns figured out what the Titans didn't. They, they figured out that they could really attack this Titans secondary, and they did it. Uh, and the Titans, it took a while for them to realize that they could pass on the Browns. You know, they, they went down 17 nothing, and then they finally stopped handing off to Derrick Henry. I think he had, uh, after Kendall Lamb's touchdown catch, he had two carries the rest of that half. So everything kind of switched at that point, and, and the Titans were able to, to get back on the board a few times there in the second half. But the Browns knew that from the start that we can pass on the Titans. Those, those passes are going to be there. And, and they were. Shannon, you've had your hand up. Why don't you uh, go and then Doug, you can say what you were going to say. I'm sorry. Did you say Shannon? Yeah. Yeah. You're up. Hey guys. Unbelievable. I was hyperventilating about an hour and a <laughs> half before this whole game started. I resigned myself to losing but I will say this, Doug, and I put a couple of things in the chat and everything. My gosh, they played unbelievable today in all kind of facets of the game. And I don't really know that I have a question. I just like, I want to say, hey, Doug, unbelievable. Dan, I know I like communicated with you before the game and like had a couple of questions about our coach and does he show that competitiveness like that we like to see in, in the fire or whatever? And you answered me, but I don't even really know. I, I, I'm just so freaking excited, guys. It's unbelievable. Nine and three. <laughs> I mean, really? Unbelievable. Oh, I mean, Sorry, you Shannon. can it, hit the mute there. Go ahead, Doug. With what? I mean, what it made everybody excited was the ba the way Baker was ripping throws and the, the kind of plays that Stefanski was calling for him early. But I thought the Peoples-Jones, listen, Donovan Peoples-Jones has to make the first catch. But the out and up was a culmination of the things that we have talked about that he was in one-on-one -on -one coverage, right? There really wasn't any help over there because he's not Odell Beckham. So you don't, you're not that worried about him. So he, he runs a good route. He makes a good move. Baker hits him and it looks easy, but we've seen the different ways that they've missed stuff like that in the past, but this was all of it coming together. And I think the stuff that why it made sense. And I think why it's really truly real is that I don't know that I don't know if Baker missed a read today. I mean, Alice and Scott, I mean, you know what, Dan, when you do your rewatch, you guys will go back and I'm sure maybe he's not perfect, but then when also he saw it, he hit it. Did he miss a throw? I mean, we've had all these weeks where I mean, he missed that throw. He missed that throw. But Peoples-Jones made that move, and Baker hit him right on the hands for a touchdown. But that's not surprising because that's who Baker Mayfield's supposed to be. He came into the league be being accurate. He was the number one pick in the draft, not because he's tall or a great athlete. It's because he's an accurate passer. So that now it's an offense that he believes in. Stefanski knows how to use him. And now two-thirds of the way through the season, they did this. 
that's the part. It's just real. This is what it should be. It just took 12 weeks, which is fine. It's a pandemic. It's first year coach. But man, I, I just thought every bit of that was real with what you saw. And that's why Shannon's jumping out of his chair. That's why everybody listening to this was jumping out of their seats in their living rooms. It's because we knew the run game was good. We don't have to jump out of our chairs for the run game anymore. Heck, they're going to do that all the time. But that's the next level. But we all knew it was possible. And today we saw that's who they are. After Baker's catch, I think we have to call him an athlete. I think he. Uh, I don't know. That catch, it was a little dicey there. <laughs> I know we got. That was a heck of a catch, man. <laughs> uh, you know, I want to say this: the, the kind of the evolution of Baker Mayfield, too, right? He spent the last, you know, ever since just that disaster in Pittsburgh. Uh, then, of course, he had that, that game against Cincinnati, but he sort of spent the last month, sort of taking really good care of the football, playing it really safe not being overly aggressive. And I thought today we saw more of a combination of what we saw in November from Baker and kind of that Baker we saw in 2018 where, you know, he's going to take some shots down the field. He wasn't as hesitant today. There were, there were one or two throws or, you know, I saw him do that little pump fake thing or whatever, but, you know, he was so much more decisive today. And this was sort of, you know, hopefully that next step in Baker's development. You know, they've kind of shaken the interceptions and the bad throws out of him a little bit. And now, you know, especially against this defense, they're going to open things up and let him go win them a football game. Yeah, he came out throwing right away. And again, it was clear that was Kevin Spansky's game plan. He did the same thing, thing in Jacksonville, um, calling, uh, you know, five passes to one run on the first drive and, and things like that and allowing Baker to both sit in the pocket, be protected, and then just carve up his own defense. And when Baker has the time to do that, um, it's reminiscent of things he was doing in the first half against the Colts. The Colts ran a lot of zone, and then they came back and ran man. And, Doug, I like what you said about um, the Donovan Peoples-Jones touchdown. That's not Odell Beckham Jr. Um, on the same point with Rashard Higgins, defenses clearly think he's slow, and they just don't respect him, and he's getting behind secondary. He's getting behind defensive backs. So I, that – needs to change if you're an opposing defensive coordinator when preparing for the Browns, because though the 40 speed isn't there, uh, Higgins knows how to get open. He can separate and he's got the long frame to se uh, then create separation uh, like he did on the touchdown. So in a, almost like a reverse way, not having Beckham opens up the downfield passing game, but that's not anything I want to be quoted on because this is the product of a, a weak Titan secondary. You're, when you face better corners, that's when your playmakers come out the ability for Higgins and Peoples Jones to beat uh, borders, a, a corner who graded out all right and just took his lunch money today. It was great route running and just belief in Baker and Baker putting two really good balls on him. The, the miss on Higgins in Jacksonville, he made up for that hit with Peoples Jones because he was wide open for a mile. I mean, from the box, you saw him run the out and up and you're just like, oh my God, he's, he's been open for you know five seconds. Uh, and then just again, Baker remaining accurate and confident, ripping that ball. The Higgins ball was perfectly placed. Uh, that's that's peak Baker and a testament to his receivers both getting open and then putting the ball in the money. Okay, got that, a couple. Play, oh, go ahead, Scott. Okay, that, that play to the Peoples Jones was like the epitome of this offense. It was they had three tight ends on the field and they moved a bunch of them around. Like there were two different tight ends in the backfield during uh, pre-snap, and everything said they were going to run the ball. And the Titans had just one safety out there who bit on the play action and thought maybe it was going to be a screen to hunt. Um, and if people's Jones does, isn't open on that play, Njoku is running wide open across the middle of the field for, you know, at least a 20 yard gain. It was just, 
it was just a perfect play call by Stefanski and, and everybody executed it great. Okay, I see a couple hands up. We'll go to Alex first. Uh, Alex, as soon as you unmute yourself, you are uh, good to go. Despite being the one that really wants to get Doug's thoughts on Baker's contract and whether he'll be here next year, <laughs> my question is going to be centered around the OBJ component to this. So being from Oklahoma, living in Oklahoma now, this reminded me more about the Baker we saw here where he hit the open guy. Is there any, I'd like to get the thoughts on, I'm not here to say we're a better team without OBJ, but does OBJ not being on the field allow Baker to be a better quarterback and hitting the open guy and getting to his reads versus trying to force the ball to any one person in this offense? So just let me jump in before the discussion starts. I just happen to be looking at it. The targets today, I know what you're saying. It does feel like that, but Jarvis, 10 targets, Higgins, nine targets. So he did, nobody else had more than three. So he did lean towards his best guys still. But I know what you're saying. I just still think any of that is more Baker in his own head about stuff. I don't know. Ellis and Scott and Dan could speak more to the the actual functioning of how routes are run and how defenses deal with them. But I just think whatever component of that exists is just Baker trying to force it when he doesn't have to force it. But again, I mean, they clearly with no Hodge today. I mean, who are their best pass catchers? Jarvis Landry and Rashard Higgins. That's who he threw to all the time. And it worked. And I just want to make note real quick. I, I like the idea. Harrison Bryant, whose fumble last week, by the way, murdered them, murdered that game almost no targets. I don't think today, just a nice little, Hey, rookie, you can't fumble the ball like that. I'm not sure if that's coincidental, but anyway, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about it before, but I don't know how you guys read this. So- I, I actually liked real quick. I liked the Oklahoma comparison. I think I actually included it in my like instant analysis. Like this was Lincoln Riley, Baker Mayfield, just dudes running wide open and Baker was finding them. I, I mean, that's really what it felt like on some of those plays. It was really, uh, really impressive. Alice, what were you going to say? No, I just think it's this. And I said it after the Bengals game when Odell was initially hurt. Um, there's no question that having a playmaker like Odell Beckham Jr. puts the idea in the quarterback's head that we need to get this guy involved. Even Kevin Stefanski talks about, would talk about that uh, in post-game pressers. Like, yeah, of course, we, we have make a conscious effort to get Odell involved. That pressure, if you want to call it that, is no longer there. But the more important thing I said after the Bengals game was, I just don't think Jarvis and Odell were a good tandem as a wide receiver pairing. It, it, they have similar builds, though Higgins is – Odell's a much bigger playmaker. Higgins is a much different receiver. He's going to be where he needs to be. He's definite in his routes and he's got the size to make those body catches that probably give Baker more room, uh, margin of error when he throws. So I think it's more just about Odell not mashing with the rest of this receiving group than it is with Odell and Baker. And now the Browns are able to deploy a more complete and diverse group of receivers for Baker to pick where he wants to go with, depending on where the coverage dictates. And some of it's going to be matchup too. You know, today it was fine, right? You, you you found guys who were able to exploit those matchups. Is it going to be different against Baltimore secondary? Maybe. We'll see. You know, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones is just going to start to blossom now. You know, maybe he's kind of gotten over, you know, that development phase and he's going to start to turn into that real downfield threat now. We'll get to find that out over the next month. Some of it is going to be matchups. I, I think there are going to be some matchups here where, you're going to miss having Odell Beckham today. You didn't. You had other guys step up. All yeah, right. I, I, real quick, Dan. 
Savancy said something really interesting again about people's Jones after the game um, that Hodge Cordero Hodge had actually repped that route all week in practice. Then he yeah. gets late. And again, this is just people's Jones once again, stepping up due to injury, like he did in Dallas, like he did in Cincinnati, not a part of the game plan. And then all of a sudden making one of the biggest plays of the game. He's though he has a lot of inconsistencies. He's showing a lot of promising flashes for a six round pick. But by the way, every receiver in the NFL would have caught that pass. If he would have dropped that pass, <laughs> People would have wanted to cut him. It's, so it's yeah, the he, he might have gotten cut if he would have dropped. I mean, pass. I get it. I mean, I get it. That's a bad corner, right? I mean, it's an out and up. I mean, I, you know, that seemed like awful coverage. The guy should have tackled him as soon as he made his second move. Just take the penalty. So <laughs> I am still, I mean, I am not all in on Donovan Peoples Jones. He had three targets today, he had two catches. One of them, he was eight yards past a corner who has apparently no idea how to play the position. So I don't want to diminish the accomplishment in the moment. I still don't think that like Donovan Peoples Jones is going to like get them over the top. And as soon as Kadero Hodge is physically able to play again, he is going to be running that route instead of Donovan Peoples Jones. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The way, I, the, way the way I'm tough on Baker, Doug, you're hard on Donovan Peoples Jones. I'm just going to say that. No, that's true. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Peter's had his hand up a little while. Peter, you can go ahead and unmute yourself and go. Try this again here. Okay, got go. it. Um, yeah, I was I was going to um, just give a, a big high five credit to uh, Kevin Stefanski's play design, and I think the creativity in particular of his play design. And, and Scott, you referenced the play on the touchdown to Peoples Jones with three tight ends on the field, and and both those guys at one point were in the backfield, and also Peoples Jones started that play on the left side of the formation and motioned over to the right. And, you know, you just don't see a lot of that in the NFL. The other play that jumps out in that regard to me is on the touchdown pass to Lamb. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if everybody noticed, but they came out in an I formation with Chubb and Hunt yep. in the I formation, which is just, and that's almost indefensible with those two guys in that kind of formation. And then the last point I want to make is that on, on the play action passing game, it's obviously predicated on a great running game, which everyone knows we have, but something that I think that goes really underappreciated in the effectiveness of the play action game is quarterbacks ball handling and Baker's ball handling is fantastic in the play action passing game. You know, he puts that ball on his hip and hides it so well. And I think that that's a big part of why they're able to execute the play action pass game so well. And, and that doesn't get, I think, appreciated a whole lot, but I think that's a, a really critical skill for a quarterback like him in this system. Yeah, I mean, those are all great points. And, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up the Lamb touchdown and having Nick Chubb as the fullback. And I believe they faked a handoff to him. And they kind of snuck Hunt out on a, on a route. And, I mean, how do you defend that, especially when the ball's going to Kendall Lamb? I, I don't know. I mean, that's impossible. That just comes down to, hey, Kendall, catch this football. That's all you have to do. I feel like wasn't like Stefanski was doing some subterfuge. Didn't he talk about that or was asked about that during he, the week about he Chubb was, and Hunt? He was asked about it. Yeah, it did come up. And so it's like, okay, let me talk about how, yeah, we need to get Chubb and Hunt on the field together more. That can really work. And so then you put them on the field together, 11 defenders start looking at them, and then you throw to the tackle. He's using us. He's using the media to set up the opponent, which is just, again, <laughs> second-level coach thinking. As long as he doesn't start making wishbone jokes. That just seemed like a real troll job on the, on the Titans there, right? They, they did their own uh, pass to alignment and it didn't work out. And then the Browns come back and do it. He was asked after the game, how long has that been in your, in your playbook? He said they, they, they put it in this week. I was expecting him to say, you know, 
in, in about five minutes before we did it. You know, that's what it just seemed like. They were just trolling them. You know, now Jarvis said they've been uh, they've been working that since training camp. So a uh, little disconnect there from uh, coach and player. Uh oh, is there a problem? Hey Dan. Hey Dan. Terry Pluto is here. I was just about to bring you in, Terry. What's oh, up? Oh okay, but I was I thought Peter made an interesting point too about we've seen other Browns teams. You know, maybe Doug and the rest try to do all this uh, shifting around and moving around, and here comes the flag, illegal motion. You know all that stuff, illegal formation, all, and you, you haven't seen that, and that's like when you talk about, uh, you know, whether you're throwing people's Jones or whatever in there. I mean, it goes back. It may sound boring or whatever, like we're just you know, all these hosannas to the coaching staff, but we certainly aren't afraid to be critical of them. And that was the one thing that struck me too, where you talk about pro, uh, formations you haven't used much before or at, at all, and the first time you throw them out there. Um, they they lined up the right way. I mean, maybe my my bar has hit me so low that my you know that my toes are broken. But I just I just really respect that to, to see that. And of course, everybody knew that ball was going the lamb. It just wasn't that big. Reset the standard, Terry Baker says. Reset the standard. We're oh, beyond yeah. just we're beyond just lining up correctly. <laughs> it's only took what eighteen years or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to say this to both Peter and Terry's point. It deeper than the play calling or the stuff we see with Kevin Stefanski and the gadget plays and all that. It's those two things, the play fakes, the lining up correctly, the multiple motions, that's all education. That's in practice detail. He's as he's a play caller. He's a football nut, but he's also an educator. He's teaching these young men, the game of football and how to play it the right way at every step, at every level, offense, defense, special teams, angles, the small details that are the difference in a game. This Browns team has it, and that's a byproduct of their coach, who again is a master educator of this sport. And, 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 and Ellis, Ellis, you yeah. played, so you could maybe even address in college to this. I was thinking too, when you aren't on the field as much because of all the COVID stuff and everything, you know, so much is muscle memory. But I mean, they could talk all this virtual stuff all they want, but really, I mean, that's that's the other impressive thing to me. How much? How hard is it when you're not on the field four days a week or whatever you guys usually practice? Yeah, no, extremely. And I, I'll just go to a, a Bill Callahan quote about that. Um, after the Browns, I think it was the Steelers game when the Browns didn't run the ball that well. They were out on Wednesday in full pads uh, run blocking because that's the type of stuff where you need the muscle memory and the, the reps to do it. So I would say it's extremely difficult when you don't have those reps. And in the strangest year in NFL history, it only adds to Kevin Stefanski's case for NFL coach of the year, because somehow these guys look like they practice in full pads every single day in complete unison. And we know that's not the case. And by the way, also a nod to the roster, Antonio Callaway isn't here anymore. Flinching before snaps, Greg Robinson isn't here kicking people in the head during a play. So they also got rid of some of those dudes who did a lot of those pre-snap penalties. Although I, d I did have flashbacks on that people's Jones drop to San Francisco last year. <laughs> see a number 11, see a number 11 drop an easy, easy touchdown. But it's progress. At least he didn't tip it in the air and allow an interception. He only dropped it. See, so it's progress. But, but another side of progress too, and, and I wrote about this a little bit after last week's game, and I think Ellis touched on it too a little bit deeper during the week, is when things like that are happening, it's not like, well, that's the ball game. See you guys next week. There's, 
they're still making mistakes. There's still things they're doing wrong because this is football. You, there's no such thing as a perfect game. I mean, that first half was about as close to perfect as you get, but there's no such thing as a perfect football game. And we're not seeing little things like that. We're not seeing a team barreling back from down 38-7, just completely, you know, blowing this Browns team apart. They found a way to hang on and, and they won the football game. They're, these mistakes aren't killing them when they make them. And then to top it all off, the other teams are making more mistakes than they are. I mean, the Titans were out there committing personal foul penalties and, and doing. Who stuff. was the starting secondary in this game for the Browns? Just name them. Uh, Terrence Mitchell, Kevin Johnson. Keep going. Stewart. Jason Stewart. Yeah. Sandejo and uh, what? Carl Joseph. Carl Joseph. Carl Joseph. How many of those guys were starting games anywhere besides Mitchell here last year? Kevin Sandeo, Johnson, Sandeo, Kevin Sandeo Johnson played, might have gotten some starts. Sandeo played a lot for the Vikings last year. Yeah. Who did? Yeah, but no, I, I, I looked it up. Ellis, take somebody who was good on the computer better than me. I, it's not as many percentage of staffs as you thought. Towards the end of the year, he, he was a big part of their playoff run, but you're, you're right. He wasn't, I, know, but he, I'm he, saying, I think it was like 30% or something like yep. that. I mean, we're talking – because, you know, those guys in the defensive backfield, they play a ton. Yep. Besides, yeah. you like Sandejo. You, you've got a soft spot for him. Nobody likes like the small no. defensive. We backs. know Ellis. We know no. Ellis was really mad when that interception got taken off the board. Yeah. <laughs> he should have had a pick today, you know. <laughs> hey Dan, should we just like you know your client is Hunt and my client is is, uh, oh, is Wood, we can't do, Hollywood? We can't are we going to give the Sandejo to Ellis? Is that going to be his client? Yeah, we can't do that to, to I Ellis. Have nothing, I have done nothing to deserve this other than be from Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody pointing out that Baker gets to see Freddie when they play the Giants. That is true. Uh, that game is coming up. Um, what is he doing there? I'm sorry, Dan. Seriously, what's what's Freddie's job? Tight ends coach. coach. What is he? Tight ends coach. Tight ends? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terry. I'm glad somebody else sees the humor in that too. It's like, huh? <laughs> so. Uh, Quick update of the playoff picture, by the way. So everybody has it. Of course, we got Pittsburgh number one, Kansas City number two, Buffalo number three, Tennessee number four. If the playoffs started today, the Browns would be right back here in Nashville uh, to take on the, the Tennessee Titans. So it would be a rematch of this. Doug, you touched on this, and I actually had this on my list. So uh, I'm going to throw it out there right now. You, I'm going to make you say it again. The Browns are the blank best team in the AFC right now? No worse than third or fourth best team. And I, so the Chiefs are the best team. How can you argue that they're better than the Steelers when they got blown out by the Steelers? But let me see them play the Steelers again. And unfortunately, it's going to be week 17 and maybe we won't see the real Steelers. But who else is better than them? Are the Ravens better than them? No, not the way the Ravens are going right now. Now the Ravens are going to come here desperate next week. Are the Colts better than them? Well, they lost. Are the Titans better than them? So, I mean, if you're, if you want to say Steelers and Chiefs, of course, you have to buy that. But who else? Buffalo? I mean, Buffalo's beaten some good teams. They've played more teams with tough records. Maybe a toss-up. I mean, if you're going to sell me the bills, I, I'm not going to tell you you're, you're crazy. But anybody else, so they're third or fourth. And I'd listen to second. No worse than third or fourth. Who wants to go next? Second. No, I, I'll, just, I'll just go ahead, Doug. Now the steel. How good are the Steelers right now? The Steelers, as someone pointed out, on Twitter, they're undefeated. The Steelers, That's how good they are. No, but all we do is talk about how nobody has any good wins. It's like the Steelers' best win is against Tennessee, who the Browns just blew off the field for thirty-eight to seven in the first half. 
So let's play the Steelers haven't played anybody game, which we've played with the Browns for three months. I want to play that game. I just would like to see them play. I'm not going to actually argue it. I would be curious. <laughs> I don't think the Browns would get blown off the field if they played the Steelers tomorrow. I mean, the Steelers, Mike Tomlin did just call the Steelers junior varsity. So maybe. All right. <laughs> Who wants to go next? Give me a number. No, I, I'll say, I mean, right now we're doing week by week. They've got to land. Doug's right. They land somewhere in three and four. But I think the more accurate way to position this argument is start. you have to start looking at playoff matchups now. And if they do get the Bills, a team like that, they could run all over Buffalo. If they're back in Tennessee, it's a game they just won. And that is how you then can start figuring out where this Browns team might be headed. And this is breaking pretty well for them. You're not going to have to worry about a, a Chiefs team or a Steelers team. And the, these, this middle-of-the-pack group of the playoffs uh, are favorable matchups for the Browns. They do a, a handful of specific things really well. And those two teams that I just mentioned do not match up well with this Browns team. So you have to like what this win ultimately means for them going forward. I, I agree with Doug. I think definitely the Chiefs are, are better. I think the good thing we, we have that Steelers game at the end of the season to be able to see exactly how this team matches up. Hopefully it isn't a situation where, where they're resting people um, and you don't really get the, the proper sense because the Browns will finally have, you know, Chubb and Teller in that game. They'll be a little more full strength than they were the first time. Um, but I mean, is it right now? They're probably third at the bills. I mean, the Steelers and the, and the chiefs are the only teams that I would go into that game thinking that the Browns really have to play their best, absolute best to win. I think they can beat all the rest of the teams or at least they have a, a realistic chance of beating all the rest of the teams. I, I think the Bills have at least earned being called third. I, I would put the Bills third if you ask me to power rank things here. Kansas City would be one. Pittsburgh would be two. Would be two. I agree. Pittsburgh is a little bit inflated because they haven't played anybody. Uh, Buffalo, three. And then after that, it is just kind of a whole bunch of teams in the middle, and there's no reason you can't make the case at least that the Browns belong on the top of that pile. And they're going to get to prove it next week against Baltimore. You know, I want to see what Baltimore looks like on Tuesday, uh, kind of coming out of all this COVID stuff, having Lamar back. But, you know, there, there's no reason to think that the Browns can't win that game next Monday night. Um, it certainly feels a lot more winnable than it did 10 weeks ago or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, the, again, this is what this Tennessee game was about, and this is what that Baltimore game is going to be about. These are prove-it games. So there we go. They did it today. We'll prove it again next week now. Terry. By the way, but if, just, if you think next week is, it has to be a prove-it game, we are now in the realm of, are they going to go 13-3 and three or 12 That's what I was just going to bring up. Well, are we yeah, talking 13-3 and three now? So, I mean, I like... Mean, look, if, if they beat Baltimore, they might go 12-4 and four or 13-3. No, but, but if they don't beat Baltimore, they don't have to prove anything anymore. They're out of the realm of... What do they have to prove? They're 9-3. and three. They just beat an 8-3 and three team on the road. What are we proving? People lose. I personally as the most optimistic member of the podcast, do not think they're going 13 and three. So I think another loss is out there. So, you know, I mean, th this is what good teams do, but like, this is, that's where we are. And if you want to start talking about the path where they're the five seed as the top wild card, they beat the four seed, they get the Steelers as the one seed who are not quite as good as we think. And they're in the AFC championship game against the chiefs. I wrote it four days ago. So we're happy if we want to go down that road, just know that the road is there. Hey, Colt McCoy is waiting for him in New York. You know, 
So I don't think we're going to jump the. I didn't. I didn't expect this to turn. I didn't expect this to turn into Doug putting the Browns in the AFC Championship game. But here we are, <laughs> Terry. Terry, how do you see the Browns in, in the AFC playoff picture right now? It's just interesting. Of you still have to go to play Baltimore, and you still have to play Pittsburgh, and you, you have to beat them. You know, it's, it, I think in my mind. Yes, I think Tennessee's probably better, certainly than Baltimore. But, uh, you know, these have been things in their division, been around for a while. And also the fact is, you know, you face a team coached by Harbaugh, a coach by Tomlin, and those guys are just really good. The exciting thing for me is, you know, I don't go into those games like before with dread and fear and trepidation, how lousy it's going to be and all this stuff. Because I'll tell you, I had some of that about going into this game. I just thought um, – that Tennessee could turn out and throw out a first half kind of like the Browns did, you know, where they just score a bunch of uh, points right away. And then you're down and you're scrambling. So, uh, but I haven't really gone real deep into, you know, Kansas city, did they rank three or four or whatever, but whoever said Buffalo needs a little more respect. I'm in that camp. I think that was me. Well, there we go. Terry, Terry and I are team Buffalo, apparently team Buffalo, Josh Allen, <laughs> And, you know, I have a soft spot for guys from Wyoming, Larry Nash Jr. and, <laughs> and Josh Allen. So there you go. Whatever the name is for team not Buffalo, that's the team I'm on. We can come up with a name for that. <laughs> but, even, but even Buffalo, I mean, here's why I am with you. I mean, even Buffalo, I wouldn't go into that game in a potential playoff matchup and think, boy, the Browns have no chance. No, in this no not at all. I mean, there's, I'm just saying again, it's all, it's all matchups. Yeah. And also, I mean, the, the weird thing about this season is from week to week, you don't know who's going to be on the field and not just because of injuries, but all the COVID stuff and everything else. And one of the things that uh, some of us going to be fate and luck and someone's going to be disciplined is can you, you know, avoid a massive outbreak like Baltimore had with, with, with the virus. Yeah. And so far the Browns have done yes. a, a good job of, being able to mitigate things they've gone above and beyond they've been overly cautious in so many ways i mean look the miles garrett thing right yeah they keep him home because he starts feeling sick and then two days later he tests positive and that doesn't turn into a full-blown outbreak they lose a couple of guys but um you know they get miles back and and that's that's all part of this again this team is actually kind of smart and kind of well run all of a sudden it's, it's funny mm -hmm. how you start winning games when you have those two things happening behind the scenes. But one thing I wanted to bring up too, uh, to kind of go with something Ellis said earlier, and I didn't get a chance to, was um, the education aspect of it. I think it was Jarvis Landry this week who mentioned that the Browns, you know, watch their league tape every, every week. And Kevin Stefanski kind of puts up situations and says, this team won this game because of this situation. This team lost this game because of this situation. Now, I don't think that's necessarily unique to the Browns. But again, it's just sort of a reminder. Like, I'm sure he put up the end of that Chargers game last week and the clock management in that game. And I'm sure the Browns looked at that and figured out a way to learn a lesson from a game like that. So those are the things, the Browns, those little basic things the Browns are doing now um, are, are kind of, it's a big reason why they're sitting here at nine and three. I mean, I think, see what you guys think. It was so fortunate that they got, basically they beat the Bengals in the second game of the season and got them going because, you know, we could talk about Steph Kevin Stefanski, but to the Browns players, he was just some guy that showed up. I mean, he had no real credibility with them other than, uh, yeah, he has a good pedigree, but he had never been a head coach before. He, he didn't play in the league. They didn't really know him. Uh, 
but winning really gets you going in the right direction. So and I just think that that allowed them. So then when they hit a couple, like a rough spot against Pittsburgh and, and everything else, um, they've been able to regroup. Okay. We've been going here for a little under an hour. I don't know if anybody has anything here to add on our yeah. post game. Ellis, yeah, go ahead. Quick, Yeah. Uh, we've, we've been talking about that week 17 game and I just want to get this on the record. I think that game's really going to matter. I, I think Pittsburgh will either be going for the undefeated season and just be rolling with it, or it could be both. I, they're going to need it for the one seed because I don't see Kansas city losing again. They've only got one loss. So Pittsburgh's going to keep, you know, going out there needing all these games because most importantly, they need that buy. they haven't had a normal buy yet this year. They had their original buy mixed up with COVID and their schedule's been all, all over the place. So an older team like that is going to need that buy. I think that week 17 game will matter and matter very much. So, so with Baltimore coming up in week 17 for, you know, potentially that first round buy, I think these next two games are colossal ones and, the Browns couldn't be trending in a better direction to at least split those. And who knows, maybe get both. Then maybe the band, the Browns should sandbag that game for this. So the Steelers stay the one seed. So the Browns as the five seed can get the Steelers in the second round and beat them and not have to play the two seed Kansas city until the AFC championship game. I've got to talk to Kevin Stefanski about this. What if there's an upset though, Doug, and, and the reseeding means that somebody else gets to the Steelers? I know, I know. It's not going to work out perfectly, but the best thing the Browns could do is avoid Kansas City until the AFC Championship game. The rest. Well, of the Dan and I said they need to avoid Buffalo. <laughs> Good c- congratulations! Thanks. Good luck to everyone hitching their wagon to Josh Allen. No, no. Drive off the road. Listen, they need to avoid Buffalo because I don't want to drive to Buffalo the first week of January. Yeah, in a blizzard because it will be a whatever <laughs> whatever month of the year will be a blizzard. All right. I think that's going to be a wrap here on our post-game uh, pod with our Football Insiders here. If you want to get subscribed to Football Insider, make sure you head over to uh, cleveland.com slash Browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page. Uh, DC Browns backer, yes, Baltimore does play on Tuesday before we sign off here. Uh, I don't know what our plan's going to be for next Monday. We're probably not going to be doing one of these post-game shows at 2 o'clock in the morning, so we'll maybe do a, a make good uh, the next day or something to try and get you guys involved in some sort of a post-game podcast. So uh, Terry joined us. Ellis was here. Scott was here. Doug was here. Mary Kay was here earlier. I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.